Robin Kelly is here. She's the far south side and suburban congresswoman of the second district, and she's the new chair of the Illinois Democratic Party. Welcome back, Robin. Thanks for having me. You've been crusading for common sense gun control for I've lost track of how many years. In view of Boulder and Atlanta, do you think something is finally going to get done? Well, before this happened, the House did pass um, H.R. 8, you know, the uh, background check bill, and then the Charleston loophole bill. So we're hoping, you know, that um, it will be passed in the Senate. We know that uh, President Biden, you know, will sign what we send to him. Uh, And, you know, it's not only the mass shootings, it's what happens every day, you know, in our urban areas also. I believe eight people were shot yesterday uh, in one place in uh, Chicago. So, you know, all I can do is hope against hope and hope that people um, look at what their um, congressmen and women and their senators are doing and or not doing when over 80 percent of, you know, Americans want background checks. They need to hold their legislators accountable. I was watching Durban's hearings for a couple of hours this week and during the debate, when you hear both sides, it looks to me like there is a compromise in there to close the gaps in the uh, in the checks, the background checks, and mm-hmm. also give the Republicans some more resources in uh, law enforcement. But, you know, I, I'm pessimistic because partisanship always gets in the way. D- do you see a compromise like that? Well, actually, you know, the uh, bills that we passed over, they they were bipartisan and the background check bill actually started with Peter King, the Republican from New York. He's no longer with us, but I mean, it started with, uh, with him and, and what was going on in New York. So I'm hoping we can find, uh, solutions, you know, uh, no one can be happy that we have such an issue with gun violence, you know, in the United States. Uh, 41,000 people died last year during COVID, you know, uh, so I'm hoping that we can find a compromise. Yeah, but we're talking the Senate where there's so much posture and things so often die. Do you really think the Senate would go along? You know what? You know, I can't speak for them. All I can do is hope against hope, and I'm hoping that, the senators that might be wavering that they hear from the people uh, in their various states that will put the pressure on them and advocates will put, you know, the pressure on them. I, I, I ask is how many people have to die or is there someone in particular that has to die before more is done? I don't know what people are, what my legislative colleagues are looking for. Well, would you recommend to your fellow Democrats in the Senate to suspend the filibuster to get this done? You know, um, that's something we are going to have to definitely look at, and and I'm and it's more than uh, gun violence. It appears, you know, uh, as much as I know, Joe Biden wants us to be unified and work in a bipartisan way. I work in a bipartisan way. That it just seems so difficult that people are saying no, you know, just to say no. And we're trying to get a lot of things done for the people. And, uh, I, and you know, I don't believe in rash things, but it looks like we will have to go down that lane if, if they're just going to say no to everything. So you'd like to see the filibuster done away with? 
if we can't get anything done because of it, yes, and the way that it's developed where, you know, you don't even have to go to the floor. We've just made it so easy. You can just make a phone call. That's absolutely ridiculous. You're on House Oversight. What can we look forward to in some changes on Capitol Hill because of January 6th? Well, um, you know, uh, we're looking at uh, improving security, uh, first and foremost. I think that's, you know, one of the most important things we're evaluating. Or, um, you know, um, Speaker had uh, Mr. Honore evaluate, you know, what what happened that day and how can we improve security. Of course, it's going to take, you know, money to uh, better the security. So I, I see that you know, as the first thing, but, um, and, and oversight is looking at that, but it's, to me, it's bigger than oversight. It's, you know, what we're going to, how we're going to invest to improve the security to better train, um, uh, the police that are there. And, uh, um, you know, I think, you know, that's a part of it also. And what's it going to look like for tourists who want to come and visit the Capitol? Well, they're taking down some of the fencing now. I think um, I think tourists will be back. It's more, you know, we were initially like that or continue to be like that because of COVID and trying to protect everybody um, even before January 6th happened. But, we'll, it, you know, it's the people's house, and so we'll find a way uh, for people to be welcome again. Let's talk about voting rights. What do you think is going to make it onto the law books this time? Oh. Oh, it's so frustrating. I mean, of course, you want to see uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed because these states are, I, I can't believe in Georgia, they're making it harder to vote than uh, to buy a gun. I mean, absolutely uh, ridiculous. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, we can get the um uh, the voting rights bill passed and HR one passed. It, it doesn't look good. It, it it doesn't look good right now. But uh, again, you know, we beside ourselves, we need advocates and people contacting their senators, you know, to uh, vote on this bill. I mean, that is your right to vote. That you know, that that speaks of the democracy of this nation. Any chance that Republicans are, you know, suppressing the opportunity for Republicans to vote? Well, you know, Republicans, or at least the, some of the Trumpers, are saying that they're not going to vote because they felt that he should have won and he didn't win. So some of them are even saying uh, on their own, I don't think because of legislation, you know, are they, they're not going to vote anymore. So, you know, who knows? It's just so hard to follow what um, some of the more active uh, um, Trump voters uh, do and say and and think. Yeah, right. How do we, how do you explain Republicans? <laughs> well, like I said, I, I, some of my friends are Republicans. Some of my <laughs> members, I don't know if any are Republican now, but when I was growing up, they were Republican. But um, I don't know. I think they're having a hard time explaining themselves. I hear a big infrastructure bill is coming. What's going to be in it for Illinois? Well, you know, it's it's a different kind of infrastructure bill, you know, beside the roads, bridges, tunnels, you know, water systems. There's a lot of emphasis on uh, high-speed 
uh, broadband, there's infrastructure, you know, for healthcare system and infrastructure, you know, for schools. So they can be schools that are of the uh, 21st century. So we hope to bring, you know, dollars back um, for, you know, our county, for our state, our county, and, you know, for our cities uh, to improve our infrastructure and definitely, you know, in the broadband uh, area, uh, COVID has pointed out so much as far as, you know, e-learning and telehealth and, you know, what everyday citizens uh, can do or not do. And Robin, what do you like as a revenue source to pay for the infrastructure bill? Um, I think, well, um, some of it will just probably have to be good old, you know, not raising taxes, but what we have now and prioritizing, um, you know, what we pay for and what we need. But there are, um, you know, um, fees and, you know, that we can, that we already have and that we haven't, you know, spent. Like when I think about, you know, our port fees and how our maintenance fees and, you know, have we really used those fees to um, improve, you know, our ports and waterways. And from, you know, my colleagues uh, learning that, no, we have not, you know, use it in the way that we should. So I think we need to look, you know, at money we are already collecting and where that money is going and what we're spending money on. And then we have to prioritize, like, anything else. Maybe we won't have to raise the gas tax? Uh, That that would be nice, but, you know, um, but if we – if we have to raise it a teensy bit and it goes to improve roads and waterways and, you know, bridges and tunnels. Um, and then, like I said, broadband and, and building a better healthcare system in schools, I, I would think most people wouldn't mind as long as they see where it's going to. We're talking issues with Robin Kelly, who is the new chair of the Illinois Democratic Party. Uh, congratulations on that, Robin, and tell us where you want to take the party. You know, I want uh, the part. I just I want to build a, a stronger Democratic Party, uh, and I want to be as blue as we can get. They call us a blue state, but we have many red or I'll say blurple parts, as a friend of mine says. I want to bring out every Democrat we can bring out, every independent, and depending on who's running for office, maybe even a chance, you know, for uh, moderate Republicans. I want us, you know, to be transparent so people know what we're doing more inclusive. I want to reach out to um, various groups, you know, younger people to help us, you know, build the bench, people that live in rural areas that might feel somewhat, you know, forgotten into our ethnic groups that everyone knows that they're valued and appreciated and their stakeholders at the table. And how's it going to look different than when Mike Madigan was chairman? Well, people may not on the outside may not necessarily see some of the ways that it will look different. Uh, You know, we'll have more meetings. We'll be more in contact with each other. Um, I think we'll have a a more active uh, office as far as our communication, as far as uh, our messaging, more programs and and training. But I'm just getting started. So we're we're working uh, on our uh, with our transition teams right now. So I'm going to take those recommendations and bring them back to the whole um, state central committee, and then we'll um, plot our course from there. 
Was it, you think, time for Mike Madigan to leave? Is the party better off without him? I'm not going to say that uh, uh, one way or another. I mean, he he stepped down, so he must have felt that it was time for him, himself to leave. Okay. Now, after the uh, Dems lost on the graduated income tax last fall, the voters saying no, probably because they don't trust Springfield politicians. My, my question here is, how do you regain the trust of Illinois voters? You know what? I, I won't even say because they don't trust Springfield politicians. I think that people have a hard time trusting government, period. When I think about the different towns that have tried to, you know, um, be home rule or just different things that, you know, people have tried to do, it just seems like people don't trust government, period. I think we have to, you know, um, walk the talk and do what we say we're going to do. Um, you know, people just in general, um, I mean, when I come home, my husband says stuff to me, you know, so, um, <laughs> and he knows me. Uh, um, you know, I just think that there's just, because of things that have happened, you know, um, uh, corruption, even though, you know, uh, people in my world work, I know so many people on every level of government that work so very hard and truly care about the quality of life of people. But when you have, you know, um, a few bad stories, it just, it just, you know, brings doubt in, into people's minds. There is too much corruption. I mean, uh, even more recent indictments of Democrats for corruption. And, you know, in my mind, Robin, too many politicians just keep stealing. And you've been at every level of government, local, state, and federal. Why is it, do you think, that in spite of all the indictments and convictions, too many politicians just keep stealing? Well, I mean, one is too many. So, like I said, I think the majority of, you know, people I know in the business, they, they do really care. They're not stealing. I'm not sure what kind of stealing you're talking about exactly, but, you know, I mean, in any profession, you're going to find, you know, great people, good people, and not so good people. I mean, you could say that um, at, at, you know, any level of government, but I think in any industry also. Do you support any particular kind of legislation in Springfield that would combat the corruption? I know Pritzker is talking up things like lobbying reform. What, what do you think? Um, I think that we need to look at, you know, the issues um, that people feel like have been corrupting and look at those issues and see what can we do um, to clean them up. Um, maybe it's lobbying reform. Maybe it's, you know, um, I'm trying to think of things that, you know, we have federally, we we have some different lobbying laws and donation laws and uh, or reform and things like that. So I, maybe some of that needs to be, you know, carried to the uh, to the states. But um, uh, also, I think that you know the public has a hand in it in who they elect and reelect and reelect and reelect back to office. Also. <laughs> How about campaign finance reform, both in Illinois and nationally? There's I'm no totally doubt for that. it's a corrupting exactly. influence. What should be done here? I, I, I'm totally for campaign 
finance reform, but I'm I'm for it because I think good people don't run and good people don't win or good people don't stay in because of constantly having to raise funds, especially on the um, congressional level, on the federal level. It's terrible, but on every level, that money is just, you know, too important. And I think we need to take the money out. Who do you like for Secretary of State of Illinois? Since I am the chair of the Democratic Party, (laughs) No, I will not answer that question. <laughs> I How do we explain so know. many uh, contestants? I mean, it's already a crowded field, isn't it? Uh, I'm aware of four contestants. I don't know. You might be aware of more. Okay. Um, one thing that Chris Welch, the new Speaker of the House, suggested the other day, that in spite of the voters saying no to his Pritzker's graduated income tax, Maybe the time will come when we should go revisit that in some form or fashion. Is that smart? What do you think of that? Uh, no, I think I think that um, I think that's a good idea. I think you know sometimes um, you know people are when they hear you know tax in any form that you know they people are more negative, but you know maybe you know, approaching it in a different way or, you know, more time to um, educate the voter or, you know, for people to see, you know, the pros of the legislation. But I think that's a good idea. And how soon might you want to put that to the voters again, as soon as 2022? Um, You know, I don't know. I I think that that, um, the governor would have to measure what he thought a good time would be as far as response he's getting, help he's getting. Okay. Now, the governor, of course, is running for re-election, although he can't quite bring himself to say it. But do you think, in spite of him using the science and the metrics to regulate the pandemic, that there might be some pandemic fatigue out there that uh, makes him vulnerable? Well, yeah, I think everyone has pandemic fatigue, but I think that he's done a good job, and he's done a good job in... Uh, for the most part, a Trump administration. And Illinois has never been Trump's favorite state. So I, I think the governor, you know, has followed um, the science. He and his staff has followed the medical advice. And he's, you know, um, from my vantage point, he's always been out there fighting and doing the best he could to bring, um, you know, resources to Illinois. And there have been some Republicans who already have declared that they're going to run for the opportunity to challenge Pritzker. Uh, Pritzker's up. Tammy Duckworth is up. They're both very popular and can raise big funds. Are you at all concerned that either one is vulnerable to a Republican challenge in what has been a very blue Illinois, but is, you know, getting a little purple? What do you think? Well, I heard a couple of names uh, as far as, um, the governor, but I, I think he has it, and I haven't heard any names to run against uh, the senator. And what's that tell you about Duckworth? That um, she's hard to beat. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be hard to beat. Finally, I should ask you, I, I see you're still pushing the third airport at Piatone, uh, which has been considered, you know, for many years a lost cause, although the state has uh, bought some land for it. Bring us up to date on the candid status of getting Piatone built. Well, you know, I'm I, I'm an optimist. That's why I'm in this job, and we're still 
you know, meeting um, with people about Piatone. We feel like we're, you know, 90% there. We just have to continue to, you know, work with the governor uh, about, um, you know, moving um, moving forward. That we, you know, cargo is extremely, extremely important, and and it'll help us retain businesses but also get businesses. And when you look at it, in my district alone, there are five Amazons and, and circling, you know, the airport, Moni, University Park, Matheson, Markham, and then one in Pullman, just Amazon alone. Um, and um, uh, right now they're uh, sending packages out of Rockford from my district. And, um, and you know, they're growing. They're not getting smaller, but there's many other entities also. So, um, you know, we're still pushing for the airport. We're not giving up. And what does Pritzker tell you about moving forward? I think he's listening to, um, you know, um, our presentation, and hopefully we're going to meet with him, you know, again soon. I know he's uh, obviously been very busy with um, the pandemic, but um, we we look forward to working with him and working with, um, um, well, I can't call him Mayor Pete anymore, Secretary Pete, and uh, but we have the support of, you know, local business, labor, Democrat and Republican political leaders from the city to um, the suburbs to the rural parts of my district and beyond. But, of course, Mayor Lightfoot is opposed, right? She's never said she was opposed. She's never said she was opposed. <laughs> I don't think she wants the competition. Well, the thing is, um, O'Hare, um, I don't, as far as cargo, I don't think that we're competition. I think we're complementary. Oh, that's Robin Kelly. She's the second district congresswoman who's just taken over as the new chairwoman of the Illinois State Democratic Party. Robin, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day and be safe. You too. Bye-bye. Up next, our Connected to Chicago Roundtable with Lynn Sweet, Ray Long, and Greg Hines. Time for the Roundtable, where we just get to tell the truth with Lynn Sweet and sometimes. Hi, Lynn. Hi, everyone. And Ray Long of the Tribune. Hey, Ray. Hello, Bill. Lynn, out on your beat in Washington this week, I was watching a couple of hours of Dick Durbin's gun hearings, and I actually saw, as both sides were debating it, a possible compromise in which you could give Durbin the closing of the gaps and the background checks on guns, but you could also give the conservatives more resources for law enforcement. I mean, there's a compromise in there. Any chance it would happen? Well, not as you described. Durbin, who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, is looking for ways of forging uh, some small, at least some small victories. But adding money for law enforcement is something that Democrats have always been for, even in the big immigration bills. Uh, When there was almost a compromise, uh, I think it was in 2013, it had massive amounts of extra border patrol security with Democratic support. But the other issue is the you have to get the House to go along with it, uh, and the, the sequencing would be hard to do. And money alone, when it comes to the gun issue, uh, isn't enough to forge a compromise. It would probably have to be some other element. Now, 
I've been covering these mass shootings since Columbine in 1999, and we have been talking about them on this show uh, for a long time. And sadly, every time there's a mass shooting, I think we discuss, will this be the one to change the contours of the uh, argument? And the answer is always no. Uh, but it isn't just a problem with the Republicans in, in the Senate divided 50-50. It's not clear that there would even be 50 Democrats who would all go along with the same thing, too. Ray, you've been covering gun control for ages down in Springfield. And uh, it just never seems to get done. And, and no number, no amount of misery from shootings, even mass shootings these days, gets anything done. Why is this? Well, what they used to do in Springfield was there was like the, they could play around the edges of the main thing. And, um, and the main thing would be uh, banning uh, assault weapons or uh, for uh, the l more liberal side or, um, you know, loosening uh, gun laws. Uh, and those would be the uh, more conservative side. And th those, there would be kind of a, a line of um, demilitarized zone, if you would, where they wouldn't cross. The only time that they really came into that area was when a federal appeals court uh, ruled that the uh, state had to have a concealed weapon um, carry law. And so uh, the tough thing is that uh, Illinois, like the country, has so many different uh, attitudes on, on the issue of guns. One is that uh, in, in a lot of folks in the city think that gun control is important, but there's also folks in the city who think they want to carry a concealed cap and, uh, weapon for protection. You've got suburbanites who uh, feel that it's important for protection, but also want to hunt. You've got downstaters who definitely want to hunt and fear that any kind of change is uh, the, um, the government getting its nose under the camel's tent. Now, the thing that strikes me is that there are popular ideas uh, that could be uh, viewed as ones that might get some headway, even though everything is bollocked up in D.C., and those are the ones like uh, the gun show loophole or um, uh, background checks. Those kinds of things ha have popularity among the populace, and you would think that something like that could happen. Now, we heard Biden say this week all but say he wanted to reinstate the uh, the uh, uh, assault weapon ban. Uh, so we are in a position now where we have a president who is uh, out there taking a position, and we have two Democratic houses, and if they could just get their votes together, they might be able to pull something off. Then you get into the whole thing about the filibuster in the Senate, and you, you just don't know where it could go. Lynn, the other thing about Durbin this week, I noticed Friday morning at a gun presser here in Chicago that he, without prompting, attacked Donald Trump, alleging that Trump had said on Fox Thursday evening that uh, he thought that the January 6th Capitol riot was no threat. Why is Durbin picking on Trump? I mean, doesn't that just raise Trump's profile? Well, uh the Trump, well, that 
that uh, interview from that Trump had on Fox, I heard heard some. I heard that, and it was remarkable in its denialism. Now, at the same press conference uh, this morning, which I wasn't at, so I didn't hear the context of why Durbin said it. Maybe it was in response to a question. I don't know. But he also uh, was very critical of Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who is a member of the Judiciary Committee hearing, who, who said the day after the massacre in Boulder that having a hearing on uh, gun control is just political theater. And Durbin said it's not theater. This is re- you know, theater stuff you make up. This is dealing with reality. But anyway, uh, if you, you have a little delicate balancing act that Democrats have about Trump. When it comes to January 6th denialism, that may have crossed a line for Durbin where he felt, indeed, we have to speak out. What do you think, Ray? Is that so smart of Durbin to pick on Trump, raising his profile? You know, I think Durbin also uh, gains points by picking on Trump, too. Uh, Trump is still the boogeyman for the Democratic Party, and so uh, he is probably winning some points as well as as raising Trump's profile, and pr- Trump's going to be out there raising his own profile anyway. So I, I'm not sure that that uh, Dick Durbin talking about him is going to uh, em- embellish or or help uh, Trump's uh, uh, crew of uh, followers who who will be uh, looking for any way to uh, find a good word for him anyway. Lena, on your beat, another big issue is immigration reform. Uh, lots of posturing on it, but here, is this going to be like guns, too, that nothing much is going to happen? Uh, well, it depends if the Democrats decide to change the rules requiring right now a 60-vote supermajority. One thing that could happen is if Durbin, who is a leader on immigration and is also, as I said, the chairman of the appropriate committee, when it comes to a just a, a, at the least, there could probably be a standalone bill just for dreamers, youths brought to the United States illegally through no fault of their own. Now, the the left wing of the Democratic Party is looking for comprehensive immigration reform. But if right now the decision for the Biden White House and for the Senate Democrats is is something written into law better than nothing. It is highly likely that in 2022 that the Democrats won't hold control of the Senate, especially since one of those seats up is one of the seats from Georgia that was just won because it was a special election. And without, you know, our listeners may know that Georgia just rewrote its election laws that may make it harder for a Democrat to win. Anyway, Senate's 50-50. if you want a law at least dealing with dreamers, you have to push through now because you can't take the risk of waiting and losing the Senate. So that's where I think the best chance is. Uh, I don't think there's uh, a will or a way for a big comprehensive deal right now. And what's the status of um, changing the filibuster so you wouldn't have to have 60 votes to act on issues like this? Well, there, you know, there's a lot of division among Democrats. Uh, Biden is open to it. Uh, it does have its roots in the old uh, Jim Crow days of racism. But here's the thing, and this is why Biden is cautious, because what goes around comes around. And when you have 
uh, the need for a 60 vote supermajority, it does empower the minority. Uh, but right now, by the way, with the Senate at 50-50, any one Senate Democrat could stop everything anyway. So, knowing that you may be out of power in two years, will this filibuster look as good out of power as it does when you're in power? Or do you change the rules and just get what you can done, go big, and see what happens? Yeah, so we still don't know. Ray, let's talk a little state politics. Uh, J.B. Pritzker is going to have a ton of money to try to get himself reelected. As we know, he spent $171 million of his own money to get elected last time. Uh, but I'm wondering, even though he follows the science on pandemic regulation, is there, is there a, an issue of uh, a factor of pandemic relief, rather fatigue, pandemic fatigue out there that might make him vulnerable? What do you think? I think that's a possibility. I think, uh, like I've said before in previous shows, that downstaters are pretty riled up about the way he handled the pandemic issue. First of all, they didn't uh, all believe, uh, because many of them are Trump voters, too, who sided with him. But then uh, they also believed that their towns, which are smaller and don't have as much foot traffic and don't have as many people uh, seeing each other all the time, that those towns didn't need to have the strict type of provisions that they do in Chicago, where population density is maybe 100,000 in, in four or five square blocks, right? So you've got uh, a lot of people looking at it differently. And um, then you have all these kinds of missteps that have popped up here to just make people angry about the whole process. And what I'm talking about are where like Loretto hospitals, CEO allows the uh, employees or not CEO, but the, a top executive there allowed employees at the Trump hotel to uh, get some shots and allowed some people who were at his favorite restaurant to get some shots in a church and a, and uh, uh, jewelry store and and uh, you know pretty soon people start figuring this is another one of those things where people who have clout get what they want and the folks who are out there struggling to get shots have to wait in line. What do you think, Lynn? Is pandemic fatigue going to be a factor in perhaps not only the governor's races but some of the congressionals in the Illinois delegation or beyond our borders? What do you think? It, it certainly has that potential, Bill. So let's just think of the uh, timetable. This is the time, you know, Illinois has a, one of the earliest federal primaries, one of the earliest primary dates in the, in the country. So if you want to run in the March 2022 primary, you need to start circulating petitions. I think it opens up in the fall. So I don't think the motivation per se is the pandemic, but the execution of it. And I think that will inspire some uh, candidacies. Uh, I believe the place to look is in southern Illinois, where they, the militant uh, wing of the of the anti, you know, of the whole anti-lockdown movement seems to have taken root. Ray, are you seeing any viable Republicans who could come close to Pritzker, uh, meaning people who are names, but who could also attract some money? 
Well, um, I'm sure there are many who have said they want to run for governor who think they're viable, but there are uh, real issues in trying to compete against a billionaire. And um, they saw that uh, near billionaire or billionaire uh, Bruce Rauner, um, depending on the day that when his stocks are up or down, um, where his money uh, amount is, he had he had trouble uh, competing with with uh, J. B. Pritzker and and um, of course Rauner probably could have been beaten by many candidates because he had uh, been in such a tough battle in in the state anyway and had lost a lot of respect uh, even among his own uh, Republican base. So. Um, the, the reality is you got to have somebody, and uh, I've said this, and Len has said this before, and you got to have somebody who, who is a big name and ready to roll out big bucks and and generate more to pull it off. And right now, none of the folks who are in the game seem to be ones who are prepared to do that. Greg of Cranes is joining us now. Welcome, Greg. Hey, Bill. We're just talking about whether pandemic relief might make Pritzker a little vulnerable, even though he's been uh, trying to, you know, follow the science on COVID. What do you think? Oh, you know, we're not going to know for sure until we know how we come out of this whole thing, Bill. Um, I think if uh, if we stay on the track we're on now, where everything kind of reopens uh, by the summer, there's been some bumps, but if it turns out well, I think People will generally uh, give him a break, but uh, you know, but at the same time, the numbers have started to creep up again. It was uh, more than three thousand new infections on Friday, so we don't know how it's going to end. That's Greg Hines of Cranes. Thanks to him, also to Lynn Sweet of the Sun Times, and uh, Ray Long of the Tribune. Up next is Nick Gale. This is Nick Gale. Education getting the spotlight recently, as Governor J.B. Pritzker has been touring the state talking about House Bill 2170, which is aimed at improving access and racial equality in the state's education system. It's a bill full of changes and additional resources, including an initiative to make it easier for students to apply to multiple state universities this fall. Three schools currently use the common application, letting students apply to a bunch of colleges at once. And Pritzker says more are coming online. I've made simplifying the college application process a key priority of mine as governor. I'm proud to announce that when the common application opens this fall for the 2021-2022 application cycle, Illinois will have all of its public universities join the one-stop shop national application portal, making it that much easier for our students applying to an in-state campus. I've prioritized funding for our schools to participate in the Common App in both of my last two budget proposals, and I look forward to working with the General Assembly again to keep fostering every possible opportunity for our young people to live their dreams, to get the education that they deserve. The new law also establishes a Freedom School Network, named for the schools of the 1960s Civil Rights Movement, that provided an alternative education for black students with an emphasis on civic engagement, organizing, and activism. The bill was pushed by the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, State Representative LaToya Greenwood. 
I read the remarks from the chief sponsor of the Education and Workforce Equity Act, Senator Kimberly Lightford, on the day that our governor signed this historic legislation into law. Leader Lightford stated that every statistic, every metric, every measure that's compiled, counted, analyzed, and audited tells you as a black mother that your baby has a small chance of ever becoming a successful adult. Simply because they were born black in a system built to ensure their failure. This has been the story of so many families in this state. Dreams deferred. And so today it is an honor to stand alongside my colleagues as we take this meaningful step forward to ensure children who look like me have a more accessible pathway to a brighter future. The education pillar, the Education and Workforce Equity Act of the Black Caucus agenda is about bringing lasting equity, fairness, and justice to the education system. Among a number of other things, the measure also requires the state's professional review panel to study various issues related to racial equality in Illinois' evidence-based school funding formula. For Connected to Chicago, I'm Nick Gale.